Hello, my name is Father Edward Looney, and you are listening to the podcast, How They Love Mary, a podcast that I hope will either be the beginning or the deepening of your Marian devotion. And today, I'm happy to be speaking with a fellow Wisconsin priest, Father John Lococo. He is a priest of the Archdiocese of Milwaukee and currently serves the parishes in Fond du Lac. And I'm sure that he might have a few other churches associated with it. It's the largest parish, I believe, in the Archdiocese of Milwaukee. If not that, then at least Fond du Lac County. So thank you so much for your willingness to talk with me today, Father John. No, it's my pleasure. It's good to be with you. Is that right? I know that Holy Family Church is this large church in Fond du Lac, but then I I seem to recall, because I was in Oshkosh for the first two years of my priesthood, and so I would go to Fond du Lac every now and again, and I would even go there for confession uh, if I was in a bind or something like that. So I believe there's like Presentation of Mary too, and another church. Are they all in Fond du Lac, or are there any satellite locations? Or I guess what's what's your priestly assignment look like? We're one Catholic parish six different churches where we have Masses celebrated. Um, Fond du Lac and the Catholic Church in Fond du Lac, it's, it's undergone quite a bit of change in the last couple decades. Um, I think m- most, obviously, with its parochial schools, which is basically effective a few years ago, only been folded into one campus, which is now St. Mary's Springs Academy, which used to be the high school, and the grade school were separate. Now it's all on one campus at K-12 through because a number of the parishes like St. Patrick's or St. Joe's, no longer are there. And so we are here with these six churches, which sort of span the county, um, and it comprises what I've been told the largest parish in actually the state of Wisconsin, given our numbers of registered parishioners. And so it's quite a big sort of endeavor, but it's always a grand opportunity for ministry, for sacramental ministry, certainly, and to encounter the people. I teach at St. Mary Springs. I help out at the women's prison at Tichita. Um, and so there's just a lot of nuance and, and grand opportunity to sort of, yeah, interact with the people of God. That's crazy. Six churches. How many priests serve there, and how many masses do you? Have? How many masses collectively do these six churches have on the weekend? Yeah. Well, so right now it's a little different, obviously, with the COVID protocol and guidelines. Prior to things shuttering down. Um, I'd have to think we had almost 16 or 17 masses spread between the six different sites. Um, and that was, you know, as early as a 4 p.m. Saturday, all the way until a 7 p.m. on Sunday. Um, and so, you know, there really is no excuse not to find a mass time. Um, if you couldn't find mass on the weekend, you, you weren't trying hard enough. Um, right now, um, it's scaled up a bit with the dispensation, um, you know, uh, being sort of abrogated and effective in a couple of weeks. And I imagine we'll add a few more. And those things sort of hopefully, you know, Fond du Lac's just been moved back to phase one, and so for us it's an opportunity to sort of re-examine some of the protocol and social distancing. But all things be told, yeah, you do feel like you're flying around all over the place. you got mass here. It's not long distances like some of the people in the Dakotas or more rural parts would have. It's not a distance, you know, from place to place, but it's just a lot of different sites and, and filling in there. Now, tell me a little bit about your family, because I follow you on Twitter, I follow your sister who works for Word on Fire, and then I saw that your right. sister, who works for Word on Fire, tweeted about your other sister who joined a cloistered monastery. So tell us a little bit about your family life, religious upbringing, and how sure. all of these vocations and church life came alive in your family. Yeah. Well, you know, I would just I would add my, because this is part of the puzzle, is my mother also works for the Archdiocese of Milwaukee as its sort of director of community relations. Um, and prior to that, she'd worked as our basically the director of our marriage and family office for quite a while. You know, growing up, 
she stayed at home and my father worked and raised the eight of us. Um, but I said, I think as soon as the youngest was able to be in school all day, um, she took on 10 hours a week, you know, at the archdiocese. And then eventually that became a, a job, which forced her to get a master's degree and a doctorate in ministry from Mundelein. And, uh, so she kind of is as involved in church life as I am, frankly, or as my sister Claire might be. Um, but growing up, you know, I mean, we were, sure, we were obviously, you know, you see eight kids, you usually think Catholic of some sort. Great generosity from my parents and great gift from, from the Lord, certainly. Um, but it was more, I think I could I could always look to my parents. I knew my parents had um, a, a, their own spiritual life. I think that was the clearest thing to me. Like, I knew that they had a, a holy hour that they took at our parish's perpetual adoration chapel from 1 to 2 in the morning on Sunday mornings, and that they would alternate doing that between the two of them. Um, so it's this kind of, like, quiet, lived expression of the faith that when you come to know and love and respect your parents and see how, you know, good they are at their jobs or effective they are as communicators and wondering what the foundation is, and you see it's their faith, you begin to say, that's something I want for myself. So we were not the pray the rosary on the hearth in the evening sort of family. There's nothing wrong with that. That'd be wonderful. But uh, I think it was more of the sort of quiet witness from my parents of their own faith that really communicated to all, all, all eight of us um, the importance in our lives. And so discerning my vocation, my sister Anne discerning a vocation, my, my brothers, frankly, living their marriages and, and living it uh, according to God's law and his church and trying their best at that. I mean, all of that was modeled really well for us, so... Living in the Archdiocese of Milwaukee, there's, of course, lots of different places that you could go on a pilgrimage, and one of them is Holy Hill down there in Hubertus, Wisconsin, the National Shrine of Mary, Help of Christians. And I just saw again on Twitter that you came up here. You were about 20 minutes away from where I live as you visited the Champion Shrine and the National Shrine of Our Lady of Good Help and uh, made a day of prayer there. And so was pilgrimage an a part of your upbringing, or is that something that kind of you've taken on now as you've uh, kind of matured in your faith? Uh, I, I'd say um, more of the latter, uh, although going making visits to Holy Hill or, or you know, I remember going to the cathedral at various times, um, seeing the seminary when I was in high school, and although those weren't like proper pilgrimages with the intent of it, I mean, it certainly was like making these visits to these places that are beyond sort of the typical rhythm of our spiritual lives, I think it's important. And I think that's kind of one of the things I always communicate to people, because when I lived and studied in Rome, I served as a tour guide for St. Peter's Basilica. And I would always say to each one of them, because it was a free tour, and anyone could sort of stumble onto the tour if they wanted to. They would just see a sign and they'd latch on to hear someone in English. And uh, I would say, you know, we're all pilgrims. A lot of times, whether we realize it or not, because effectively we're, we're pilgrims on this journey towards our heavenly home. And so, you know, sometimes we're much more intentional. I'm going to go to the Holy Land. I'm going to go up to the shrine in, in Green Bay and be intentional about the day and bring our prayers and intercession with us. But often we can make private, you know, quieter pilgrimages, even just sort of spiritual days for ourselves in the quiet of our own home and sort of make that visit in our hearts and, and, sort, of, and sort of have that as a place. And I think that became clear to me as I entered more deeply into seminary formation is just sort of this notion of, um, you know, the possibility of, of setting aside uh, time to, to make visits, even physically or just spiritually to places. And so the shrine, frankly, 20 minutes away from me, which I didn't realize that, that's become a really important place for me. I've been to once before, but 
living in Fond du Lac, I'm only an hour and 20 minutes away, so it's much easier to get there. So I've been there a few times over the year, and it's been a source of great consolation and great grace as well. Well, Mary promised Adele when she appeared there in 1859, go and fear nothing, I will help you. And one of those helps that Mary gives is her mediation of grace and that promise of intercession. And it's a beautiful thing that you've been there. Now, you did bring out something very nice that, you know, anybody can take a day away and it could be just an hour away or two hours away. You don't have to go to a religious place. You could go sit in your backyard and you can take a spiritual book, take a a devotional book, something, and maybe just take some time and read it. Um, That's a good question maybe for people to ponder. What's the last spiritual book that I've read? And then um, can I make time? Can I incorporate some sort of spiritual reading into my life sometime uh, in the next month or two? Just kind of, it's a a good thing for rejuvenation, to uplift the spirits, to raise our minds, to think of holy things and godly things, to think of heaven. Uh, It's a a very good thing to do that you brought up. Yeah, and I think the, the Holy Spirit helps mediate that for us. The Lord wants us to be in communion with Him, and in our prayer, I think, you know, if you have a devotion or a lady of Chestahova uh, or to a particular Marian image or Marian apparition, place yourself in that midst of the uh, the miracle and sort of take the time and allow the Lord to sort of, like, work through your devotion uh, and don't sort of handicap yourself by saying, well, I'm never going to be able to have that affinity and that communion until I'm physically there. Because it's hard to get to Chestahova. It's a lot easier to pray to Our Lady of Chestahova. Sure, definitely. You know, just yesterday I was driving into Green Bay to run some errands, pick up some stuff for our church festival this weekend. And as I was driving, I started re-listening now the third time to True Devotion to Mary by St. Louis de Montfort. And part of the reason is is because I'm writing a new book on St. Louis de Montfort, a 10-day retreat book based on True Devotion to Mary. And even though I've listened to it, I have the chapter outlines, I'm just like, maybe I'll listen to it again just to understand and to see if there's something I've missed, something that I want to incorporate. And as I was driving along, you know, it was a realization to me, well, I would really love to go back to France right now. I would love to go to France. I'd love to visit Brittany, uh, this area where St. Louis de Montfort uh, grew up, where he preached and everything like that. But of course, with COVID-19, that's not possible. And, you know, I have a great love for France. I've been to Lourdes uh, more times than I can count. I've visited lots of holy places in France. And kind of, I realized yesterday on that drive, my heart was there. And even though I can't go there, I can at least, as you said, place myself spiritually there to maybe even the St. Faustina had this practice of sending her guardian angel before the tabernacle. And there was one time I was in the airport in uh, Charles de Gaulle in, in Paris that I said, I'd really like to go to the Miraculous Metal Shrine, but I don't have enough time as I have to go to the Orly Airport and make the airport transfer. And so I just sent my guardian angel there and I said, guardian angel, take this petition for me and lay it there at the altar at the Miraculous Metal Shrine where Mary appeared. And that's another spiritual practice that that really we can engage. Mm, Absolutely. Yeah, that's a great image. Just to consider sending one who's tasked with caring for you to do your you know, the bidding of your prayer, because that's our desire, is just a conformity more to the Lord. It's the beauty of Marian devotion, is that we see the one who conforms most perfectly to our Lord as her, and so to sort of consecrate aspects of our life through her and through our guardian angels. Yeah, it's just a great practice. I'm a little interested... I look forward to your book. 
Oh, well, hopefully it'll be good, and hopefully it'll come out next year in October. But I'm very interested yeah, right. a little bit in your St. Peter's Basilica tour. Now, I actually, I've been all over the world. I've been to Europe several times, but I've never been to Rome. I was supposed to go to Rome in September for a meeting of the Pontifical Marian Academy uh, and their international congress that they're going to have of Marian scholars. But, of course, with COVID, that got oh, canceled, wow. postponed till next year. And that would have been my first trip to Rome. But as you gave a tour of St. Peter's in uh, St. Peter's Basilica, are there Marian shrines? In uh, are there Marian shrines? I guess anywhere in the basilica itself, any plate, any devotional area to the Blessed Mother? Yeah, certainly. You know, they, there's a number of, of devotional images which depict Our Lady. I mean, certainly most famously contained within the basilica itself is Michelangelo's Pietà, which well, sure. is Michelangelo's take on a famous theme of sort of our Lord being laid in the arms of his mother, and it's so beautifully captured by Michelangelo. And there's a lot of amazing facts just about that piece itself that you could you could teach classes on, and I won't take the time now to do so. But I'm always struck by... Um, Michelangelo really, from what I've read, wrestled with how to depict Our Lady. Um, and despite the Basilica itself being remarkably proportional, um, and so that's one of the, the amazing architectural feats, is that as you stand there in the vast volume of the basilica, as things get further away from you, they get larger, so as to help the individual, the viewer, not lose themselves in the space itself, right, if that makes sense. So things get larger and larger as they go away, and it helps the eye rest comfortably as it surveys all of the art. So the, the Pieta itself is an interesting sort of thing, because it wasn't made for St. Peter's Basilica, it was made as an altar monument, um, for Mass to be celebrated in front of. And Our Lady is very unproportional. If she stood up, she would be this massive basketball player, as I've had a tour guide explain it to me. She's got these broad, broad legs, so that she, as mother to Jesus, still offers that sort of maternal pose. We can imagine Our Lady bearing the body of her grown adult son, Jesus Christ. You would have not seen such sort of control that she has. But what's beautiful about the image itself that I always sort of latch on to, is that in one arm, it's, it's, it's holding her son. But the other arm, it's absolutely disconnected from him. It's open, palm facing outward. And her son, our Savior, is almost rolling off of her lap right onto where the altar would be. And it's a beautiful image for us as we sort of just imagine ourselves kneeling there at Mass during the consecration when the priest would elevate the host. It would be in perfect eye line with Christ's body himself. And he's almost rolling off of her lap. So it's Our Lady, again, just always offering us the surest path to her son, always offering us um, basically you know, the, the right way in which we can encounter Jesus Christ and the mysteries of the Church. And so that greets you right when you walk in. You turn to your right, there's the Pieta. Um, beyond that, there's a lot of other images. I think in particular above the altar dedicated to Pius X, there's a mosaic, beautiful mosaic depicting Our Lady's um, entrance into the temple as a child. Uh, and so she just is depicted with such docility um, and, and such an, in sort of beautiful, uh, honest, and intimate fashion that it always is quite striking for me to see and for pilgrims as well. Sure. Now, you've been a student in Rome. You've studied in Rome. You were a seminarian there. You did postgraduate work there for, for an STL or an STD, a doctor in sacred uh, yeah. theology. and A license, yeah. A license. And what was your discipline? Uh, I studied dogmatic theology at the uh, Angelicum, which is the Pontifical University of St. Thomas Aquinas. So the Dominicans 
um, teach there. But prior to that, I did basically my bachelor's degree in theology at the Gregorian, which the Jesuits teach. And so I kind of had a little bit of both. But actually, my time with the Jesuits was was lengthy. I had four years at high school at Market High School in Milwaukee. I had two years at Loyola Chicago, three years in Rome. So almost nine years within the Jesuit um, pedagogy. And so I'm grateful to them as I'm grateful to uh, the Dominicans for what they were offer, able to offer those last couple of years. And what was your thesis topic? Only a theology nerd like myself would be interested in this, not the <laughs> average listener, but... <laughs> sure. No, I, I, I wrote on uh, religious liberty and the course of authority of the church, you know, in regards to, I think, the doctrinal development of dignitatis humanae. And so kind of examined some 19th century church magisterium to 20th century church magisterium. And I did it through the, the lens of John Courtney Murray and Joseph Fenton. And then I adopted a little bit of Thomas Pink's um, very recent contemporary thesis in which he sort of seeks to reconcile the two views um, so it was a good opportunity to get really into a lot of the conciliar documents from the 20th century, as well as some of the 19th century magisterium on uh, religious liberty. It was, yeah, it was a good little project. Well, very interesting. And as a student in Rome then, you probably were able to travel throughout Europe to some of these holy places mm-hmm. that of our faith. And maybe what was one place that you visited in your time in Rome that just really made an impression on you, something that you keep carrying with you? Uh, a place outside of Rome that I visited? Yeah, I would think outside of Rome. Yeah, I would say, well, I'll give I'll give uh, kind of two answers to that. I suppose um, my outside of Rome, but just within Italy still, um, I was just always struck by the beauty and just sort of a sense of great peace of Assisi, of visiting the parts of St. Francis's life and sort of placing yourself in, in, in the midst of that town and, and really kind of you can almost envision him walking up and down those hills preaching the gospel. And it's just such a place of uh, great grace for me personally, but I know for so many other people. Outside of Italy, um, I would have to say uh, going to the Czestochowa Shrine in Poland was a really great pilgrimage for me in particular because I had I'd grown up, you know, and, and kind of grown into my affinity for that particular devotion and uh so it's kind of important with the role that john paul ii played in my life and lives of so many priests of course and uh his heroic witness um as well as just the polish people and their devotion to the faith um it it was really just great to be able to go there and and pray to a holy hour and a half in front of the icon itself and so it's just a a day that i return to and i'd say what connects both of those places and to me and i'm sure you can attest this as well is to me just a sure sign of of um, a shrine, an apparition site, a, a, a location of a pilgrimage. It's just that spiritual peace that you have. Um, but there's just a deep spiritual resonance within you that when you go there, you feel that things are as they should be. And so it's good to sort of rest in the midst of um, the Lord's presence there. And so all both of those places just sort of stick out to me as, as being evocative of that reality. I totally get that. And one of the things I realize when you go to holy places, when you go to shrines and sites like that, is that there's a sense of awe to realize that so many people have been there before you. And to think of maybe the famous people yeah. that have been there, to think of the peasant people that have been there, all of the different types of people that, because they believe in the same God and are devoted to uh, to our lady, to the saints, to whoever, that that brought them there. And there's this... there's set, 
well, as Catholics, it's a universal faith. And so there's a sense of being in communion with the saints, in communion with one another as we seek communion yeah. with the Lord. So, And then to realize that as you're a passing pilgrim, there's going to be more people who are coming after you too. And that's always to think of those people uh, yeah. as well. I think it's a great practice. It's really, it's really, you know, clear when you see the Pilgrim Peter statue within St. Peter's, whose foot has just been worn to, to nothing. Um, it's a bronze statue from the number of people who have touched it and kissed it, and just the oils on people's hands and the just the centuries of, of people's devotion to Peter and, and Thanksgiving for a safe pilgrimage. You just I, every time I see it, you just think of the millions and millions of people who've come to St. Peter's. And it's true. You do feel a deep connection with them that's rivaled only by Eucharistic communion in my mind. For sure. So today we've been talking with Father John Lococo, just kind of a casual conversation. Two priests talking about priestly life and their devotion and their uh, ministry in the church. And uh, one of the things before I let you go, Father, would be I would love to talk with you just about a basic Marian profile, just quick rapid-fire questions that I typically ask every guest. Okay. And uh, so sure. hopefully you're ready for them. So there's My lots heart rate of... just jumped. I just feel like... I don't want to fail your test. Oh, you're on the spot, so it's okay. Don't worry. Um, the uh, you know Mary is a woman of many titles, and we have lots yeah. of different names for her. And so, is there a specific title of Mary that you find that you invoke more often than not, or maybe a favorite title of yours? Yeah, for me, and and this is prior to Pope Francis' pontificate. It's been Our Lady Endure of Knots. I, I learned of that uh, title through my mother, who had had a devotion uh, to that particular sort of characteristic of Our Lady, and for me, it's just easy to envision me sort of either uh, leaving the knots for her to undo or, or trying to work work alongside her, yeah. Okay, and how about a, a Marian sacramental? So, of course, the rosary is a sacramental. People wear sacramentals like the scapular and miraculous medal. Is there one that you make use of? Uh, the rosary. The rosary has been and, and always will be, I think, just the, the main source of my Marian's, you know, spiritual life. Lots of different people have written prayers to the Blessed Mother. The saints have, the popes have, modern people have. Is there any prayer to Mary that you have a particular fondness for? Um, I don't think I have a particular prayer. I mean, I, I think, frankly, to to work well within your wheelhouse, having made the the. Um, uh, followed the path of St. Louis de Montfort. So many of his prayers that are contained within um, his writings are, are just beautiful for me, and it's, it's something I try to return to often. Okay. And how about a rosary tip? So people find the rosary monotonous. They find it repetitive. Mm -hmm. Is there anything that mm -hmm. has helped you pray the rosary better? Yeah. Um, I would say, you know, I, I make the point of doing the rosary uh, while I'm walking because I find that the meditation's just a little hard for me. The repetition of the Hail Marys while trying to focus on sort of the mystery itself uh, can be a distracting endeavor or, in fact, a fatiguing one. Um, and so for me, it's just like the rosary, even if I'm in my, my room or in the chapel in our rectory, just pacing a little bit and just sort of thinking as I sort of thumb the beads is really important for me. And I, it's just an image I always turn to is just um, you know, like the apron strings on a, on a mother's apron. Like, this is what you're tugging on here, trying to just get her attention a little bit and ask for some help and really try to ponder the things that she did so often in her life so as to, you know, garner some of that grace. But yeah, for me, movement. Movement's my tip. If you find a difficult devotion, just try walking around when you do it. 
we meet Mary in the pages of sacred scripture. She says a few different things in the pages of the gospels as well. There's many different Marian prophecies. Is there a Marian scripture passage that sticks out to you? Uh, do whatever he tells you. Seems to me to be good life advice. For sure. I mean, just from our Lord's miracle at Cana, I just try, try my best to ask at the end of the day, did I follow Our Lady's advice or not? How about a favorite Marian apparition? Being in Europe, maybe you visited some places of Marian apparition, and of course, you just visited one of those places this past week, but is there one that yeah, the story resonates with you? Honestly, yeah, I would say the Shrine and Champions just always continue to resonate. And I think the more that I learn about the church in Wisconsin, um, the history of the space itself, and learn more about the the miracle, uh, the, the apparition, uh, I, I'd just say it continues to resonate. But beyond that, I'd say prior to sort of that growing in the immediate, Fatima continues to just be it's just a, such an incredible. Uh, I mean, if it was a story written for Hollywood, it'd be an amazing story. But the fact that it's just um, a true and authentic part of uh, Our Lady's intercession in the lives of millions and millions of people. It's really, really a remarkable um, apparition. And of course, Fatima is now a Hollywood movie that is available. Fatima. That's you right. Find yeah, it. That's right. You can find it in theaters right now. You could also get it on direct demand by paying for it and watching it. I had the opportunity to see two screenings of it. It's a very powerful movie. After I watched it, I went and I prayed a rosary right away. I'm like, I have to live Our Lady's message. I have to go do this. So um, yeah, it, it's absolutely. a movie that moves you to prayer, I think. Beautiful. Uh, how about a, uh, a Marian book that you would recommend? Uh, a Marian book. Um, man, there are a lot to choose from. What's the title of your book next year? <laughs> I can't release that yet. <laughs> <laughs> no. Uh, you know, I was going to give you a shameless plug. No, I guess for me, I think uh, one that I often recommend to people just as being um, uh, worthwhile is The World's First Love, A Mary Mother of God by Fulton Sheen. That to me was like kind of a great entrance for me into, I think, understanding who she is. Because I think often people who don't have a devotion maybe perhaps lack an understanding of, of the importance that she plays in our spiritual life and our relationship with the Lord. Um, and, I, and I think at times Marian devotion seems to be, you know, something for other people is what we, we tell ourselves. Um, when instead, I think it just is such an integral part of our spiritual lives. Um, and we look to Calvary for that, um, our Lord entrusting to his church, our lady, um, and he never does anything flippantly. And so taking that sincerely and reading that book was definitely a huge, played a huge role in, in growing my own spiritual relationship with her. And lastly, as a priest, when you celebrate a mass on a Marian feast day, of course, there's music. Is there a song that you anticipate that you want to hear when you celebrate one of those Marian masses? Uh, a rousing rendition of Salve Regina is just something I return to, and it's something I can control, but even if there's no music to daily Mass on a Saturday and we're doing it dedicated to Our Lady, we can still chant that at the end of the Mass. So for me, that's just always moved me. Uh, it's just a beautiful song. I think it's simple enough for people to learn to chant it, and it's something I always enjoy hearing. Well, great. Well, thank you so much, Father John Lococo, for being with me today to talk a little bit about your own life of faith and also as a, a pilgrim student as you were in Rome and now as a, as a priest serving in Fond du Lac. Now, if people want to find you on Twitter or any other place, where can they do that? Uh, you know, I should probably have that memorized. 
given how often people ask that, but I always I always forget exactly what my handle is. I'm looking up. It's at Father Lococo. Easy enough. I should have known I'd give myself something easy. I'm on Twitter at, at Father Lococo and on Instagram at Father underscore Lococo, just to keep you guys guessing. <laughs> well, very good. Well, I hope people will go check you out. I love following your content, and, and uh, I know that I'll thanks. keep seeing you online. So thanks so much for a wonderful conversation today, Father John Lococo. Thank you. You've been listening to the podcast, How They Love Mary. I hope that this podcast has either been the beginning or the deepening of your Marian devotion. You can follow me, Father Edward Looney, on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter at the handle at FR Edward Looney. If you like this podcast, please rate it and review it on whatever platform you listen. It's available on Apple Podcasts, on Stitcher, and on Spotify, or wherever you might listen. Until next week, let us remain united in prayer to Jesus through Mary. God bless.